This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. If I come to the restaurant, what am I going to hear? <laughs> well, you're, it's a, always a lot of R&B, but anything from, you know, D'Angelo mm-hmm. to, you know, some Future on there, some mm-hmm. Uzi on there as well, mm-hmm. you know, also, you know, some, you may hear some Tina Marie mm-hmm. one night, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and you also may hear... You know, the Commodores one night. It all it all depends, you know, and it all like flows and kind of sets the same same mood and also shows you like a little bit of who I am in my background. So you spend well. a bunch of time plotting out the playlist. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Sure. It's a ratio. Okay though. It's a ratio. Okay though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. Black chefs are artists, scientists, magicians. They deliver amazing food while advancing the rich tradition of African-American cuisine. I've been wanting to do a series of interviews with black chefs on this show, and today we're launching into that. Charlie Mitchell is one of the great chefs in America. He owns and runs a restaurant in Brooklyn Heights, that's in Brooklyn, called Clover Hill. He is one of two black people and the only black chef in New York City to have a Michelin star. That means he's doing incredible work. I wanted to know what his kitchen was like, what his thought behind the menu was, how he became an amazing chef, and more. Let's dig into it. It's Charlie Mitchell on Torre Show. Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Why, why do you cook? <laughs> why? Yeah. Uh, because I love it. What do you yeah, love about it? Really that simple. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, it's changed over the years. You know, I think going from like a kid to now being in restaurants you know, like what I love about it has shifted a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I love like feeding people. You know, that was a, that was the original love, you know, and that's it's kind of still in it a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you start with your grandmother. Right. So yes. so it's so it's a deep familial thing for you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I would say like. In the community, right, and you know, my, the, the grandmother was like the matriarch of the family, right. Yeah, yeah. But in our in our neighborhood, she was also someone that the friends, the family, or anyone on the block could kind of depend on for this like great meal, like seven days a week. So uh, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of see the the fellowshipping that we had over food and how important she was for someone who depended on their next meal, you know. And that just made it, you know, special to me. It made food something more than just like. A hot meal. Well, when in your youth did you say, no, this isn't just me and grandma 
having fun in the kitchen. This is this is a thing that I could do. <laughs> well, then it, then like TV entered my life, right? Because then I would go, would spend all the time cooking with her. I would cook at home. I had a single mother. And then I got hooked on like the food network and all that kind of stuff, right? And then from there, I was like, oh, wow, like people are like chefs, you know? Like I remember watching like Iron Chef like the first time and being like, wow, like that's totally different from what we do in the house. And that was the first thing that kind of like, oh, I could... I wonder if I could be like that when I grow up, you know? So watching the Food Network made you say, oh, was there some, was there a specific person on there? That you were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that yeah, I think it was me. like, uh, what was the Iron Chef? It was like Chef Morimoto, okay. right? He's like, just like, he was like the guy that everybody had to beat, you know? And I was like, wow, like, that's like, he's like top dog, you know? And that was like, well, how do you be something like that, you know? Okay, okay. Um so how did it start? How did the journey start for you? Like leaving home and doing this like for other people? Well, right out of high school, I like I tried the regular college thing and like I hated it. Then I had a couple odd jobs and you know, you're like young, 19, 20, just kind of like hanging out. Then I actually got my first job. I used to do valet outside of a hotel downtown Detroit <clears throat> and eventually got a job in the kitchen in the same hotel just because we used to like pull the sous chef's car all the time. And my buddy actually asked a guy to hire me. And he's like, yeah, send him in. So I go in. You told them I know what to do. I could do it. No, like, I told him I didn't know anything. But I took <laughs> that home. <laughs> okay. You know, he told me, like, go buy some knives. I got to show up. And then from there, you know, that kitchen wasn't really where, like, sparked the, like, refinement in my career. But it was like, okay, this is my intro into this, like, crazy career that I wanted to do. And that kind of got it started. And... From there, it was kind of foggy still. It was like, what do I really want to do? You know, it was like a crazy bar and grill, you know, downtown Detroit. And then I went and got more serious, you know, after that place. Where where did you say, you said that somewhere sparked you to like go to the refined <laughs> level of this? Yeah. So actually, funny, funny enough, that first job I actually got fired from. Okay. Right. Because like I got hired by a chef. They brought in new management. He like fired all of us. Right. I mean, that happens. It, it happens. Right. Yeah. So then I found myself cooking burgers at a place and I was like, well, what this, place? it was a Bar Louie. You ever heard of a Bar Louie? No. Like, it's like a chain of like, it's like a Buffalo Wild Wings, but like, okay. No chicken wings. Okay. But why? So no I'm chicken like, wings. The yeah, chicken wings are the best. They had like a dollar burger night. And dude, I remember I got crushed this one night. I swear I cooked like a thousand burgers. Like no exaggeration. Right. Okay. You're in the weeds. I'm in the weeds. And I'm like. <laughs> This sucks. Like, I'm never doing this again, right? <laughs> so I just simply, like, I Google like, best restaurants, like, Detroit, Metro Detroit, and this place popped up. It was outside the city in the suburbs. And I was like, okay. So I called the next day, like, hey, are you guys hiring? And the chef was like, yeah, like, show up with, uh, it was like a chef knife, paring knife, and a peeler. And I'm like, okay. So I have to go buy a chef knife, paring knife, and a peeler because I had none of these things. And then I remember my first day, we did like a working interview. They call it like a, like a stage or a trail. Right. And I was just like, where am I? Like, it was like a totally different culture, you know. Because like, it was much more precise. It's yeah. much more serious. It's much yeah. more regimented. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, you know. And I was More like, pressure. Yeah. And I was like, where am I? Like, this is crazy. And I actually met. And it goes much faster than yeah. you were used to. Super fast paced. And they look at everything you do. Yeah, yeah. You can't hide. Yeah. You yeah. know? And it was just like, wow, like, I don't know anything. And they're like, you know, you know nothing, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll hire you. And they hired me to work the morning. I, well, I that's amazing that, that, that they were like, you don't know anything, but we'll still give you a chance. Exactly. Why did they exactly. give you the chance? Uh, 
Honestly, I think he just kind of liked me at the time. I think my chef just kind of was like, oh, I like this kid. Was he black? No, he wasn't. No, I was the only black kid in the kitchen at that time. Interesting. And they still, that's nice. That's what's up. Yeah. And I think he just kind of liked me, you know, and he had just left fine dining and was trying to do something really nice in the city and he needed bodies. He needed needed people. And then I started to like catch on really fast. And then it was like, oh, like this guy's a piece of work, but like maybe, maybe this will work. You know, and then they introduced me to restaurant cookbooks, what Mission Stars were and James Beard Awards and all of these things. And I was like, oh, okay. So now I had like a whole new set of goals, you know, and to be. At that point, you started to say, I want to be a Michelin star. I want to be a James Beard. Yeah, exactly. Because I just knew like whatever I, I always wanted to cook, but I wanted to figure out, okay, how can I cook and and still kind of like be someone like and kind of matter. Whether it was like in your city or the country or whatever. And I was like, okay, I have to get to these guys, like, level, you know. And, you know, at that time, the accolades is what I thought meant, like, you're at this level. So it gave me something else to kind of, like, shoot for and, you know, train for. You've been at a bunch of incredible places, and now you are owner and running and head executive chef of Clover Hill in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, How's that? It's crazy. But it's good. I mean, Brooklyn, I live in Brooklyn. It's, it's, do you live in Brooklyn? I live in Flatbush. Yeah. Okay. So Brooklyn restaurant culture Mm -hmm. over the last 10 years, it's really gone upward. It used to be everything was in Manhattan Mm -hmm. and now there's a lot of great, like great restaurants in Brooklyn. So you guys are part of, of that. Right. Exactly. And that's something that we embrace, you know, because a lot of like ultra fine dining is, it's in Manhattan. Right. And then. You have like Brooklyn, like the, kind of like the new kids on the block, kind of like that underdog feel, yeah. kind of like, you know, people expect, think that if it's a birthday, a holiday, they have to go all to the D. And yeah. we felt like, okay, let's kind of bridge that gap a little bit. Let's find a space in the middle. And if they execute, you know, and that's been like the goal from the beginning. And I think it's working, but it's very different still. You know, it's no white tablecloths. It's not over the top fine dining, you know. But it is... The highest level of fine dining. I looked, I looked at your menu. I think it was six items. It's eight courses now. Eight now. Yeah. yeah. And it was. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, <laughs> why is it so small?" The number of <laughs> options. The small. What's the taste menu? So it's just one menu, and it it gives you. It's one menu. So if I come in, that's what I'm getting. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have any choices. No. I, I am coming because. I trust you. I have heard of you. So, you know, give it to me. Give me the, give me the wisdom and the genius as opposed to I, everywhere else, like not every, but most of the places I'm like, I feel like chicken, fish, whatever. (laughs) You're like, fuck that. You come into my space. Let me take care of you. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thought behind it, you know? And, you know, it gives, I think it gives chefs a chance to be, you know, creative, but also kind of like curate this meal completely from start to finish for someone in a way that they wouldn't normally do themselves because they wouldn't choose it the same way because they may not have as much knowledge of the ingredients or the cooking techniques or just, you know, creatures of habit, right? We all eat the same thing at home. So wait, so take, so, so you are planning a, a, a narrative, an arc, exactly. right? Well, take right. me through what is that arc that you are taking me through? Well, you know, Number one, we want you to be comfortable with the environment, right? And then with the food, we try to so make right, sure. Right, 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 right. You are thinking about it before I even get 
to the food, exactly. right? Like I want you to be comfortable in the space. Exactly. Wait, so why did you start with that? Because I thought you would start with, I want you to first get a savory or whatever, or a sweet or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, 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 no. When you come in, you got to feel at home. Yeah, because we, you know, we think that that plays a part. It starts the experience, right? Like all it's hitting you from different angles where like you come in, you get comfortable and then you're like, okay, wow, like I feel at home here. They're very welcoming. I love the music. The vibe is good. And then from there, you're like, relax. And then at that point, we kind of like have you right where we want you. Wait, you know? do you pick the music? Yeah, I do. So what's yeah. the what's the general vibe on the sound? Uh, It depends. Like sometimes I switch to playlists, you know, through the seasons of the menu and also like if you're really busy or if you're a little bit slow, but it's a lot of music I love listening to. Like it started really that simple. Like I love R&B, soul, hip hop, you know, just straight rap. So you're going to hear. Like, like what we, what, what are you, what are your go-tos? If I come to the restaurant, what am I going to hear? <laughs> well, you're, it's a, always a lot of R&B, but anything from, you know, D'Angelo mm-hmm. to, you know, some future on there, some mm-hmm. little Uzi on there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, also, you know, some, you may hear some Tina Marie mm-hmm. one night, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and you also may hear, you know, the Commodores one night. It all, it all depends, you know, and it all like flows and kind of sets the same, same mood and also shows you like a little bit of who I am in my background. So you spent well. a bunch of time plotting out the playlist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Beautiful. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, all right. So the music is going, the place is meant to make me feel at home. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, just in the way you're treated, I feel like, you know, like, you know, people want to feel like they belong somewhere and that they're accepted somewhere. Right. So as long as you make them feel like that, I think that is what makes them feel at, at home, you know? And, you know, I think people feel that way very quickly when they come into the restaurant. Yeah. You know, whether it's like greeting them by name, happy birthday, happy anniversary. And you're like, oh, wow, like they know who I am, you know? And Oh, yeah. You have, there. how many seats do you have? Yeah, I know you, so, co- so covers. Many. How many covers are you, how many covers <laughs> do you have? We, we can do maximum 52. We have 26 seats. So we can turn a dining room twice. Tw- 26 seats. Right. So, right. Okay. And so, so, so the maitre d' can mm-hmm. know every, I mean, is he or she like looking people up? So when I walk in the door, they know, oh, that's, yeah. 100%. And your wife is. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's like the menu. Right. Yeah, just less creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Did you relate? I want to get back to your menu, but did you relate to his? I mean, like part of that movie was about his passion for cooking, Mm -hmm. but then part of it was also that he has lost the passion, which is why he's about to murder everybody. Yeah. You relate to that? Uh, Unfortunately, I did relate. I did. I did, and I think I think any chef who's worked in fine dining could relate. You know, because it's really as simple as like the price point starts to kind of like ostracize you a little bit. Right. And, and you kind of get a certain demographic. Right. So if your menu goes three, four hundred dollars, then all of a sudden you have kind of people that he had in a dining room. Right. And people who sometimes are just there because they have the money. They don't really care what you're doing. They don't care how much work you're spending. They don't care about the farmers, the purveyors, all this kind of stuff. And you kind of you realize that that, wow, these people don't care as much as I want them to care. You know, so. It's a very real so, thing. So you, that the part where the rich couple who's like, you've been with me eight times, name a dish you ate. And they're like, we can't. Exactly. And they, you relate to that. Like, you, I, I have taken care of you <laughs> at this incredible level and you don't even remember what you ate because yeah. you're rich and you're used to this. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, we all relate to that all the time. Mm -hmm. Did the food critic, did that angle get it? Like, he wanted to murder. I'm like, you're (laughs) murdering the food critic? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was pretty funny also. But like, and also me, I could relate in a way because I'm like, well, I haven't been getting this stuff yet. You know, like I, you know, he was like an older, more established chef and I'm like young and I haven't had all the food reviews. I haven't been ripped apart in articles yet. And people haven't said these things about me. And I was like, wow, I wonder, I wonder how that's going to, you know, affect me one day. One day. starts to happen, you know? So, okay. I've sat down, I've been greeted, lovely, Stevie Wonder and Tina Marie are going. I'm feeling <laughs> at home. This is vibey. And then you start and and the 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 servers don't ask me anything, right? Because you're just gonna Well, we always take your know, allergies, aversions. You know, some people do want to know, hey, what am I eating tonight? Or some people are just like, cool, take it away. You know, so it all depends on the guests, right? You gotta treat everybody different. Um they let you know like you know, uh, allergies, aversions. The menu is always very seafood based, vegetable forward. Why is it? Why is it seafood based? Uh, I just like to cook that way. Okay. You know, um, I eat that way. I don't. I don't eat red meat in my normal diet. Um, for health for, reasons or political reasons? Uh, health reasons okay. mainly. Uh, and then from there, also, it dates back to being a young cook too, because the fish was like this crazy craft, you know, and like handling fish was always this craft. When you look into like sushi chefs and how long they train to wash rice before they even allowed to touch the fish. And even when I got in the kitchens, only the best, the sous chefs and like the chefs were the ones who were breaking down the fish. So I was like, when I get my turn, like I'm gonna be the same way like this, you know, and kind of like have this respect for these ingredients, you know, um, and the craft at, it's very challenging too, right? Like fish has a very small margin of error. So like we, I get a kick out of that too, you know, like manipulate. So it's pressure. It. It's a little yeah. more pressure than, than, than beef. Yeah, for sure, 100%. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. 
On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm 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 a person with no particular. I don't need I don't need any special mm-hmm. any special uh, whatever dispensations or whatever. Mm-hmm. So do your thing. So what is the what is the story that you're what is the narrative arc that you're going to take me through? Well, I mean, well the courses are they, they start using from like something small to something larger and cold to hot, but I think mainly it's about. Each, I want each dish to kind of like surprise you in a way, right? Whether it's, it's familiar a little bit, but it should be thought provoking. Like I either love this or I hate it, you know? So it's like, it's very like seasoned. It's very like flavor forward and the pairing, you know, maybe it's ingredients or flavors that you may not know at home, right? Cause that's why you come to us, you know? Yeah. And I just want to make sure that every course that hits the table makes you feel that way, you know, whether it's. Maybe something's very subtle because it should be subtle and it's a product that I think you should just enjoy with just like a little bit of, you know, lemon juice and salt. Like that's it. And then some things are like, this took us three days to make and this is why, you know? And and then we love to have a little fun with dessert, which I think dessert should make you feel like a fat kid, you know? Like dessert should be exciting and Decadent. nostalgic yeah. and just like fun, you know? Are you thinking about like there's five regions on the tongue. Is that right? Maybe I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, are you thinking about, you know, we have savory, we have sweet, we have Mm. this, that, like, are you thinking about those sort of things and giving me a a narrative of that? Yeah. I mean, yes and no, right. It depends. So like until that point, you know, I may try to highlight certain flavor profiles on purpose and some people get it. Some people don't. Right. And also different textures. Right. Because some people like if you're eating one thing, you want it to be crunchy, salty, acid. You want everything in this one bite. But maybe this course is just meant to be, you know, uh, soft and like kind of salty. And the next one is like crunchy with a lot of umami in it. And the next one I'm highlighting the flavor profile of like bitterness, like on purpose, you know. And like some people are like, this is weird. or Like, why? But it's, it's because like, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of food education of like, you're like, wow, I didn't realize that would work, but, you know, it was so good. Or I didn't know I liked bitter or I didn't know I liked mackerel until you cooked it for me this way, you know? And I think that's a part of going out for a taste of me or fine dining is kind of letting go a little bit and opening your mind to like, oh, let's see what they do, you know? You said you want the diners to either love or hate the plates. Exactly. You are... What do you mean? Like, you, 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 <laughs> well, you, I hope they love it all. Of course, you hope they love it it's all. It's just that, like, you don't want it to. Be, you want it to be memorable, right? You don't want someone to come spend three, three hundred dollars or whatever on dinner and not remember anything, and or have this birthday or anniversary and just kind of be like, man, everything was just flat. You know, yeah, you yeah, want yeah. them to be like, wow, that was delicious. Or if it's kind of like, ugh, that just was not for me. Then, like, at the very least, you know, if I feel good about it, then I'm okay with the. Uh, whatever reaction I get, but at the very least, I don't want it to be like 
not memorable and very forgettable. I think that's the worst case scenario. I mean, at this level of cooking, you're probably not getting a lot of plates like sent back or like the diners are like complaining. I didn't like X, right? Because they right. understand right. I'm going to a high level experience. Right. And I mean, do they seem to understand like if I don't like it, I, you know, I hated that. Yeah. That's on, they, do they understand? Like that's on you and you're taking this culinary journey. Sometimes some people can, if they eat out enough, they can be like, you know, some people will tell me, oh, I love this, but that one was, I can see why people like it, but it's not for me. And you get some people who are just like, I hate it. I mean, we had last spring, we had a table come in. I'll never forget it. Uh, three people and they just hated everything. They hated the entire meal. They were like, Everything was soft. They had no flavor. Like nothing was good. Like three out of three. And I was just like, wow. Like, so wait, this is, this is at the end of the meal. They're like telling the server, like, I didn't like any of this. Yeah, or they're think, complaining during was, the meal. They complained a little bit through and through. By the time they got the dessert, they were like, we haven't liked a single thing here. And I was just like, wow. So, so what do you do? I, I comped the whole table. I just didn't make them pay for it. Did? Yeah, we did. I mean, I had to, <laughs> you know, but it was just very like, it was a learning experience. Like, wow, like you can't win them all. What know? do you learn from that when I assume most of the diners are like, wow, that was great. Right. And you get what, one out of 10, one out of 20, who's like, yeah. I didn't like such and such. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to be mature and first you have to not think they're crazy. Right. You have to be like, <laughs> you have to accept that. Like maybe, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe I didn't taste it before it went out. Like maybe, maybe the cook did put too much salt in it. Let me, let me kind of like take a step back and see if it was me. Cause if, if they say they don't like it yeah. and the plate comes back and it's, and they've eaten less than half of it, you're going to take a bite. Uh, some people do. I normally try not to because it's like been on the table, but I'll at least like. But you want to know, like, I want to know. Was this different yeah, than, yeah. did you make somebody else, somebody take a bite of this to see? Yeah, for sure. Every time. And then like taste the rest of the mise en place that's on the station. See if they're crazy. Maybe get a second opinion and then be like, okay, it's just them. And that's okay. You know, but you have to, I feel like if you're a chef and you start to believe that like, you know, the guests know nothing, then you'll, you'll get out of touch with like cooking for people, you know? See, it's an interesting challenge because you have the knowledge, the expertise, mm -hmm. right? You've been at a lot of great places. You've had a lot of great education, right? You know more than me. Right. But I know I did not like that <laughs> when it went in my mouth. I right. am clear on that. Yeah. Yeah. But you're like, yeah, but the science of blah, 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 like, right. you know, so I could see where you could be like, Okay, you know, you're you're crazy, but cool. <laughs> yeah, and you have to fight that. You have to, I think it's a part of growth as a chef is like, you have to understand that like you signed up to cook for people. And if you can be confident enough to put it in front of them, you have to be okay with like whatever they say. And then if if more than, you know, a couple of people say it, then it's like, okay. Then we got to think about. Let's, maybe we revisit this dish. Maybe we pull back on this, that. And that's why you start to make like, you know, perfect food or whatever chefs want to call it, you know that like everyone loves it. I mean, is your, your tongue, your palate, is that the number one thing that makes you a great chef that I can taste in a sophisticated way and understand, well, this is for me, but not for the average person. What, like, is that, is that, cause it's more, it's gotta be more than what you do with your hands, right? <laughs> well, I think the palate is like developing. I think it never stops developing. You know, I've learned as I got older that 
you have to eat, you know, you have to experience, you know, you have to go out to dinner. You have to, even if it's takeout, you have to like experience different flavors and things. Uh, so it, it does contribute a lot, especially when it comes to designing menus and knowing, okay, this is good enough to be served. Uh, but I think it's a little bit more about, like in my opinion, for me, at least it's more about the feel for food and ingredients and a touch you have, how in touch you are with food, you know, that makes you like a good chef in my opinion. Well, let's talk about the elements that a great chef possesses, right? Like mm-hmm. we were talking about basketball, you gotta be able to shoot, you gotta be able to dribble, you gotta be able to pass, you gotta be able to understand the flow of the game, you gotta be able to jump, you know, run, these sort of things, right? Mm-hmm. So what are those elements for being a chef? For for me, I think- For being a, a great chef. So number one is about a leadership, number one, because you, you can't do it alone. Right. You know, it's a million moving parts in a restaurant, right? So leadership, organization, right? And then being able to like, have great problem solving abilities and be, and at the same breath, be very like solution disoriented. Disoriented? Like solution oriented. Oh, right? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Something's going wrong every day. All the time. Every day. Yeah. All day. Yeah. Right? Kitchen's crazy. Every all day. Yeah. So it's about like, okay, you know, can you lead people enough to like, you know, that they continue to work through this chaos, you know, and can you like organize this building that like, it won't be just be broken down by like chaos. And then like, how do you solve these problems? And can you find solutions like quickly and efficiently? And that is going to lead to, you know, running a great restaurant, no matter what level of food, you know? Now that was great, but that would also, what you said would also go for any leader right? in any field. Right. So, all right, so let's add to that. What does a chef need to have, to possess, to be great? Well, I mean, I think on top of that, and then it gets into like food, right? And like how in touch you are with food and what have you learned about food and, and like cooking throughout your career, right? And you have to just be like a sponge forever with food, like forever, because it never stops. You know, you're always, it's never like, this is the one menu I'm gonna serve for the rest of my career. And like, I'm good. That's boring to That's, you. That'll never happen, right? So the chef needs to be like evolving and, and, and learning at all, you know, the entire time for the, the duration of your 20, 30, 40 year career, you have to completely, you know, otherwise, you know, you'll just wilt away and people get tired of you or, you know, you'll end up like holding a clipboard and just ordering vegetables all, all day. But uh, I, I've learned too, like the more in touch you can become and the more willing you are to learn about all the different fish and vegetables and how they're grown and what they eat and all this kind of stuff. You can really dive into like, oh, like that's like really being a big time chef, you know? So are you constantly eating out as a way of research? Uh, as much as my time will allow me to, right? Cause sometimes I'm just like a little bit burned out from the week. Are you on chill. six days a week? I mean, dude, I mean, when you're like chef and like partner, man, you're like always at work in a way. You know, like the, like the restaurant is always, even when we're closed, then maybe I'm just like, my, maybe I'm getting to my paperwork now. Or I'm always talking to my purveyors about products that I have coming in or next menu or something I'm like looking for. Or we're thinking about ordering new plates or new pots or new pans. It's like, it's always something seven days, seven days a week, you know. But I'm only in the kitchen on, a, on an average five days. Okay. You know, I like to take my two days off. Because you have the tasting menu, you don't have the, what would you call it, sort of inventory issues, right? Some chefs 
we, you know, we sold a bunch of steaks, but we didn't sell enough chicken. So now, <laughs> and if we don't get rid of this chicken, then, you know, we're going to eat, you know, $1,000 worth of chicken or right. flush $1,000 worth of chicken. So we got to get this out somehow. You don't have any of those issues. I don't have that issue, but I have a different set of issues, which is uh, I use more expensive ingredients. So my margin of error is a lot slimmer. Right? You can't throw away a dish. Right. You need to be, my ordering needs to be much more dialed in because... I don't have anything else to do with this fish. We need to sell it. Our portions need to be correct. No waste. Like everything counts when you work with very, very expensive ingredients. So that is our daily conversation in the kitchen all, every day is like no waste, you know, great portions, you know, no refires, you know, like let's, let's try to keep everything as dialed in as possible. You talked about leadership. And I think um, for a lot of people who've never been in a kitchen, the Gordon Ramsay notion of the <laughs> egotistical chef who's screaming and demeaning. And it, that was a, a, a widespread way of being at one point in the past. I think most chefs are not like that anymore. They understand people are only take so much being screamed at. Yeah. Are, so are you like, what sort of, like, are you a more calm, quiet Leader, I mean, you can't be quiet, but like, is your kitchen quiet? Are you are you screaming at people? Are you losing your temper <laughs> in, during the night? Or are you uh, like not anymore? No, 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 not, not anymore. So you used no. to. Well, I was younger because I was, you know, I mean, I'm 30, but I'm all the chefs I worked for were from that era, right? Yeah. So that's the kitchen. So you got raising, screamed at, right? I did, and even my first sous chef job, like my chef was like, "You need to like establish yourself in the kitchen." I was like okay, it's a part of my job, but I found other ways now, you know, and it helps me because we're a small kitchen. So instead what I do is I'm very selective with my hiring. Sure. Cause I'm just like, you know what? You look like I'm gonna yell at you. Like I can tell like this interview is not going well. Like you're doing things that are, that are like, you know, like triggering me. So like, you can't work here, you know, opposed <laughs> I mean, to like, that, that makes sense. you know, and like, but this kid is like, well organized. They can take the criticism calmly. They can take directions calmly. They 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 care enough that they want to do good. It's like, okay, I can train this person. And like that just helps me stay calm, you know, <laughs> to be to be honest, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to have more black people back there with you? Or is it hard to find black people who can cook at this level? <laughs> uh because it costs question. a lot to go to culinary school. Yeah. So that yeah. right there cuts. And I know you didn't. Right. But that's a typical road. And that cuts out not all, but that does that price to go to culinary school cuts out a lot of black. Yeah. People. I don't think it's, you know, in my opinion, in fine dining, it's not that we can't cook at that level because we can. We can do anything. Yeah, right. Of course. And I get I had a decent amount of black employees at this restaurant. I just think it's a matter of like patience. What do you, you mean? know, in like the career field, you know, like I was telling, I forget who I was telling, but the American dream we're like sold when you're young is different. You know, it's like, it's like how fast can I get rich in America? Right, right, right. right I'm only 25. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to have 401k, 25. It's not, I want to make minimum wage and get yelled at for six years. Right. right? right like right. The they don't want to do that. Right. Right. So it's, it's more like, like patient, how patient are you? You know, does your family, can your family help support you, right? Right, because early entry level in cooking is very, very low. Very low. So if R your family can't, if, yeah. if you can't make it, then you can't 
survive. You, you can't survive. You can't put up with it, right? Like your family has to understand. Whether you go to culinary school or not, I'm going to start you at a very low hourly wage. Like I don't care where you come from, right? And that's just the industry. And so you have to be very patient with knowing, okay, this is going to pay off one day. And then you have to be able to take criticism like very well, you know, even if it's calm or if you mean yelled at. And I found that those two things are a lot of things that, you know, push, I've seen push black cooks in and out the kitchen very quickly. They're just kind of like, I don't need this man. I'm not making enough money or like, don't talk to me like that. Like, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, all right, that's fair. It's fair. <laughs> I know how it is. Do, do, do the diners tip in your restaurant? Yes. Yes. Because yes. some higher restaurants, they're like, we don't want to do tipping. We're taking yeah, that. that was a movement for a while. I'm not really sure of a lot of places to do that, but we we definitely believe in, in tipping in our restaurant. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, shit, man, as the owner, <laughs> right? If the diners will subsidize some of or a lot of what your service are, right? I mean, that's good for you as the owner, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it, sh- that's how it should be, really. I mean, we it's even now restaurants are getting the cooks to be tipped out as well in, in some restaurants nowadays, um, which is also very smart. Um, but some laws the are kind of Cooks tricky. are taking some of the front of the house's tip? In some restaurants, right. So like some places where, like I worked at a restaurant in DC where it's a chef table. So the cooks are part of the service. Okay. Right? So okay. they get, a, it's not the same percentage of tips, but they get like some extra tips to kind of help them make a little bit more money, you know? But you're eating the server's tips. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, is there any other industry where the customers are paying for the workers' salary? No. Any other industry? No. 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 <laughs> no. I mean, this is the only industry where, you know, you're running a business and the model is built on, well, the customers will pay you guys a salary. Right. Right. So we don't know. We, you know, we, we I mean, you know, their checks are. I mean, I, I got those checks, right? right, right. Early in New York, right? They are nominal, right? I'm right. living on the tips. Yeah. So the customers are paying you, right? I got to pay the chefs. I got to pay this one, this one, but I don't have to pay y'all. They will, the customers, right? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Servers do uh, very well in New York City. At, the, at, at a place like yours, I bet they would. Yeah. Yeah. My son said to me, so if somebody brings you a $5 plate, or a $20 plate, it's the same action. But mm-hmm. he gets a 20% tip on 20 and he, she gets a 20% tip on five. Right. They did this and I'm like, I don't know what to say to that. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, when you put it that way. <laughs> I mean, know. they did do the same thing. They brought it from the kitchen to the table. They talked to you, took care of you. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> How do I, how do I, what do you say? Um, you are local in terms of your, where you're getting your stuff from, right? Uh, when I can be, yeah, yes, when I can be, um, we source, but I, I prioritize getting the best I can find. Okay. You know, within reason, but if that product is in New York, then I will get it from New York. But I, I always have something local on the menu at all times. But, you know, let's say if the peas are sweeter coming from California than the peas I can get right now in New York City, then I'm going to give my guests the peas from California because they're sweeter and it's just better. But I'll always can compare, you know. You know, how old is how old is Glover? Just over a year. Yeah. 
barely over a year. Wow. So it's still new. Very. Are you still right? How, if I wanted to eat in there, how far in advance are you booked? Uh, not that far. Okay. No, no, no. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's a small restaurant still. Uh, and like on the weekends we fill up on the weekdays, we always have booger room and we also keep our bar open for walk-ins or like last minute reservations. So we can take up to probably like eight walk-ins a night or like last minute reservations a night, you know, if you call the like same day. So, but on the weekends that gets tricky. Like if it's like a Saturday night, then you're looking at probably sometimes just a couple of weeks. I know a lot of it. Is it true? Most restaurants don't make it past three years. Yeah, that's true. But you at your level of Michelin chef, that doesn't, that doesn't affect you, right? That is that, that's not part of your journey, right? That's, that's a, that's a different class of <laughs> restaurant that's dealing with that. Well, hurdle, right. I mean, it could be like, honestly, like before, like last year was very rough for us. We're a small team, right? We're small ownership. It's pretty much like a independent ran restaurant, right? It's open by two guys. They brought me in as a partner. It's no huge investors, no huge financial backing. Well, everything we do is from like guests fed and like, if it's a little extras, it's like reinvested right now to make us a better restaurant. Right. So like last year was very rough. Like summer, we were like, I think we closed three nights. We did zero covers. We were doing like four, four people a night. We did like maybe 20 on the weekend. And we were kind of like, this is because this is of the quarantine COVID still. Yeah, it, was like, it was still after COVID. The neighborhood didn't know we were there again yet. We, we didn't have PR. We didn't have the mission star yet. You know, summers, we're in Brooklyn Heights and everyone there is rich and they go to the Hamptons or they go to Florida during right. the summer. That's right. So it was just like, all right, man, like, let's just, let's just try to make it to fall if we can. Cause that normally you get busy in New York to fall. And True. then, you know, we got the mission star and stuff and it, it kind of helps. So like now we talk about like, okay, we're going to be here for a while. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Did you know... I mean, to get a Michelin star is incredibly important. Did you know that you were cooking at a Michelin star level before you got that? Uh, in a way, sure. Like, it's all I knew, right? I've worked in a nice restaurant. So when you're doing certain things, you naturally know how to do it this way. Uh, but 
we didn't know that they were looking at us. We knew that they came and had our food. They're very good at being anonymous. You had no idea. You have no idea. Like you, you will. Can you look back now and go, never. oh, it was that guy? Never. Really? Yeah, so never. they're secretly sliding in. Yeah. And then what happens after they leave and they're like, that was really good. And then we got a random email one day and they asked us for some photos. And we didn't have any. They asked us for some high resolution photos and we hadn't had a professional photo shoot. So we like on the fly, like schedule a photo shoot so we could send them food photos. And this was in maybe August. When you get that email, you kind of know something's up. Yeah, you know something's up. But they do this thing now where they are like mentioning restaurants. They may not give you a star because they want more more clicks or something like that, right? And we were like, wow, are we getting a star or are we just being at it? And then you don't find out you're getting a star until that they invited you to the award ceremony the week of. And you're like, okay. And then they don't tell you where you're getting until the night when you show up at the awards. So it was like very, very you know, low key. They're, they're really good at it. Well, they're low key, but you're stressed. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> it makes a big difference. Yeah, huge difference. I mean, is the restaurant is fundamentally different after you get that, right? Yeah, it changed everything. You You're know? slammed all the time. Yeah, now. yeah, we were busy all fall. And it, it's like a domino effect, right? Once they recognize you, other people recognize you. And then, right. you know, media and journalists and articles and you're you're important to people now because you've made then for me it was like my history as being the first black chef in new york city so it just opened the doors to so much more after that you know it was amazing i mean it's 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 extraordinary you think about the impact it could have on other people mm -hmm. who could be like i could get to that level right yeah yeah and you know it's been a lot for me like i still get you know dms or LinkedIn messages from, you know, from other black chefs, from young, older. And it's, it's great, really, honestly. It's like if, you, if you're in a position to inspire anybody, you know, you should you should take it, right? Because that's, that's a good thing to do. You said you get DMs. I was like, girls are checking you out over <laughs> no, a Michelin no, star? No, 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 no. It's like, you know. It's like, <laughs> Food groupies are in the <laughs> chef groupies? What's up? I love this. <laughs> now, it's normally like chefs who are like, I want to do something like this. Or you're inspiring to me to keep pushing and. Now I know I could do it. Like, there's normally stuff like that, you know, which is great. Where do you eat when you go out? Where? Yeah, where do you like to eat? What do you, if I, if like you got tonight off, let's go out to dinner. Where would you want to go? Well, we do take out eight times out of 10. But when I do go out, I always say my favorite restaurant is this place called uh, Zuzu's in the Hudson Yards. It's a Mediterranean place. Okay. And well, we love going there. So me and my fiance, we go there like, Way too much, like almost once a month at this Zuzu's. point. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Yeah, it's like ca it's casual, Mediterranean, straightforward. You know, sometimes I just want to like chill and be low key. I don't always want to be like catered to at a restaurant. You cook at home? I try not to. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. I do that at the job, honey. Yeah. I can yeah. see your your wife, fiance, fiance. Yeah. It'd be like you know. She, you know, can you, can you, and like, I'm tired. <laughs> I've been doing, I've been in the kitchen all day. I don't want to come home and cook. Yeah. But like we have a, uh, I got caught up in that, the air fryer craze now. So. What do you mean? Like now we like use the air fryer for everything. It's really easy. You Yo, know, my wife bought me an air fryer for, um, for Christmas. I think two Christmases ago. I never liked the taste of anything that came out of there. Okay. Like yeah. I'll cook a steak in a in a cast iron pan mm -hmm. and you know, 
I'm I'm not a great cook, so you know it might get some smoke in the house a little bit. She, <laughs> she's a vegetarian, so she's like, "Ah, oh, you're killing me." So she bought the air fryer. I'm like. I hate the taste of the steak coming out of the air fryer, <laughs> right? It kind of sucks out a little of the, the spirit of it almost, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not for everything for sure. But we throw like chicken or salmon in there, something quick so we can just like enjoy time together. You know, I don't want to cook a six-hour extravagant meal no, of course. in my like short two days off, you know? No, of course, of course, of course. But you, I mean, if you love it, I could see maybe you might want to do it but you're like, not really. I want to do really. anything. What do you want to do when you're not in the cooking? Uh, watch sports, listen to music. <laughs> so are you like a Pistons, Tigers, Lions guy? Uh, Yeah, I would say, unfortunately, I'm more of a Lions fan than anything. Okay. Like yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's it's unfortunate. It's hard. Uh, it's hard. So hard. <laughs> I don't know why. I feel like the Pistons, I was a big fan growing up, but then they got really bad, and I was able to kind of like, oh, I follow them, but not as much. I was always like a big LeBron fan. So, I, you know, that's easy. But the Lions, like, I'm stuck, man. They got me on the hook. Like, <laughs> every year, I'm like, we're going to be good, and we never are. <laughs> every year. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they, they the Lions find they like find ways to lose games. Yeah, they do. They like break your heart. Like Jesus Christ, we're up two touchdowns in this. <laughs> what the fuck? It's been. I mean, ever since Barry retired, it's been like Barry Sanders. It's been like Jesus. It's yeah, just it's been bad. <laughs> um, what's the difference between a good chef and a great chef? Uh, to me, longevity. Okay, you know, I think the chefs who do it. I like a lot of chefs who've been at the top of their game for, you know, 10, 20 years. Those are like great chefs to me. You know, like what we used to look up to like in Europe and the, even like in New York, you have restaurants here that, you know, they've had, you know, mission stars and, you know, or world's 50 best list for, you know, 10, 20 years. And I think that is like great, like maintaining that thing. And it's great. And also being able to like transform and reinvent yourself, whether it's, with the times and stay relevant and also challenge yourself to reinvent the cuisine. I think that's what makes you like great. You're an owner. This is not from what I'm hearing. I don't know. This is not major rich yet. No, <laughs> <laughs> not I mean a small restaurant. It's going to be hard Yeah, to get rich. One third of a small, I mean, even though you're, you know, you have a high price point, Mm. Right. It's it's hard. Definitely. Definitely. Because, I mean, you know, just restaurants in general, right? the margins are tricky. Right. So even if you're busy and even if you have a high price point, you need to make sure, number one, that your like margins are right. Make you're actually profiting. You know, you're not just like throwing it down, draining labor, throwing it down the drain and food costs. Right. You have to do everything a certain way. But if for them, like you say, we're a small restaurant, you can only make so much money. Yeah. Right? So it has not. And if you're, you're, are you 12 months old or not quite? Yeah. Uh, February 18th was our one year. So, so you're like 13. Okay. Yeah. So a little over 12 months old, but that first year, the, the early period, you are still dealing with all the costs of starting. Exactly. Getting the place, getting the furniture, getting all the things, mm -hmm. right? Like, so you have to lay out a ton of money just to open the door. Exactly. And it takes a while to... Get that, get past that, that early part. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think I might, might be spot on, but like most restaurants don't make any like profits for real until like 
after two years. And that's if you're still going to, if you're going to survive. Right. Like if you make it past two years and you're busy every day, at that point, you're probably like, okay, we're about to start like profiting. You know what I mean? And we're we're not at that point yet. You know, yeah. like I said, we're still at the uh, this year is looking great for us, but we have a lot of work to do to get us to that point. You know, where we're like sitting kind of comfortable. I ask um everybody who comes on the show what being black means to them and how it impacts the work. And mm. there's a tremendous black food tradition in this country. And, you know, I mean, I, I love going to the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And there's like four, I think it's four different stations in their cafe of different sorts of cuisine from African-America. I'm like, this is, I, I had never realized that, right? And it was right. so amazingly educational. Um, but, you know, black people and black chefs have had a massive impact on the way we eat in this country and mm -hmm. some super trained chefs, some not so trained chefs who were also brilliant, even though they hadn't had official training or whatever. So you stand on the shoulders of a lot of great, brilliant people in doing mm -hmm. this, but talk to me about what being black means to you and how it comes into the work. Well, I think for me, I think the biggest thing for me was like, okay, like that's the history. Right. And I feel like we've always played the background a lot. You know, maybe you've been- As black chefs. As black chefs, right? Maybe you're dishwashers, maybe you're porters, maybe you're line cooks. You know, maybe you are this white chef, sous chef for all this time. But it's like, okay, I feel like my goal was like, okay, I'm going to try to get to a place to where like, you know, we're shining. Or like I'm shining as like this chef of, you know, serious cuisine, cooking at like the highest level and as a black chef. And I feel like that was going to be like, okay, I want them to see us as like, you know, as like equals, right? Representation, that's what you try to be seen as, right? As someone who can cook just as good or chef just as good, if not better. Um, so I've always kind of had that chip on my shoulder as like a black chef. Um, and but you want to you know, prove that we can do it. Exactly. So it's been about that for me as well. Yeah, for sure. Has it been, has there historically been a lot of boundaries, barriers to enter, like barriers to black chefs to be able to get as far in the game as you've gotten? I mean, I would assume so. Like I can't name actual instances, right? But one thing that stops you is like, okay, if even if you, you know, get to a point to where you're like on the brink of creating that, then what can stop you is like, what if you don't get the money or the finances to do it, right? Right. And we all know that's been a problem. So what happens is like, okay, if you want to get a fine dining restaurant, maybe they only offering you offering you money to do this kind of restaurant or that kind of restaurant, or maybe a restaurant in this area. And like, it's going to, that's going to stop the money that eventually will stop you. If you can't get the money to do this like passion project, if you can't raise it or if you don't have it from family or you can't get the loan, then like, yeah, that's going to be like the barrier that you can never, you can never get through. Right. And that's the, that's the key. It's like, how do you get that to like, you know, live out your dreams and your passion? Mm. What is the, what is the dream or goal of the next five years? You see yourself staying here at, at Clover Hill or is there somewhere else? <laughs> well, that you want something else that you want to create. Do you want to do something for Detroit? Like, or are you a New Yorker now? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I found myself like slowing down 
And every, the year we've had last year in Clover Hills taught me like, okay, maybe I should like slow down and like now see what comes with this and keep, be open-minded to a lot. But initially my goal was to be in New York, be known as one of the best chefs in the city and uh, try to achieve having three mission stars. Right? I mean, three. Three. So you have one. Right. So the goal is not reached. It's not, but it's a step, right? You know, but now, you know, this Clover Hill was born. So I think I'll always be a part of this restaurant. I mean, in my opinion, like long as it's open, right? So I'll always be a part of it, have a hand in it. And then, you know, maybe I'll open like my own, like, you know, little brainchild to so I can try to like live off, live out these dreams and this plan I had, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, so hopefully that, that, that comes. You know? Do the other chefs recognize who you are yet or not, <laughs> not enough? Uh, yeah. Some of them do, but not yeah. enough. I mean, like, are you said you want the other chefs to respect? Of, of course. And like, yeah. is that, is that achieved or are you still building that? I think it's happening, but you have to, you have to keep it right. Like you have to let the dust settle because it's been like, oh, okay, he got the star, got the young chef war, like it's a little hot right now. And, and then it's like, you know, you want to keep it up for two years, three years, five years. And it's like, oh, okay. And then like 10 years, like, oh, wow. Like this guy has been, you know, a great chef in New York city and the country for a long time, you know? So, okay. So give me a little advice or a little tutorial or whatever you want to call it. Cause let's say, me, folks listening, we want to get in our own kitchen and cook something up. Mm -hmm. So first of all, what could the average home chef do to be, to up their game, to level up their game? <laughs> uh, probably learn about food. Don't be afraid of like home cookbooks. You know, like my grandmother was a, cook, a home cookbook reader. You know, like what and, books would you uh, uh, recommend? Uh... I don't know specifically because like all of my cookbooks are like restaurant cookbooks, which don't apply to home cooks. But, you know, just anything like if it's like a, if you like to want to learn how to bake, just get you a little book on baking or a garden book or a book on, you know, meat and all those kind of things. Whatever you think you want to eat and cook at home, then get you a little book on it and like learn about it or research on the Internet. And then from there, you know, you'll learn more. And then trial and error is like your best friend. You know, practice makes perfect. Yeah. It's hard to trial and error because now I'm wasting food. <laughs> well, you got to eat it anyways. You can't throw it out. Oh, my God. Yeah. I make this um, pasta bolognese for my kids. And if if I know, like, if I do just these basic steps, mm -hmm. they're going to like it. Right. But I'm creative. And I know that when I go into a restaurant, it looks a little different and it <laughs> tastes a little different. So I'm like, there's a gap between what it's really supposed to be and what I'm doing. Right. So what if I had this? What if I had this? And they're like, oh, I liked it today. Oh, you added something. I don't <laughs> like it today. And now I got two full plates of pasta that they're like, I'm not eating it. I don't like it. Like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, the kids are not going to eat it. They don't like it. They're, they're not. <laughs> well, adults too. Uh, but so, okay, you can cook anything. For the most part. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm sure you could cook anything. I'm sure if you haven't already done it, you could figure it out pretty quickly, right? Because right. you have an incredible foundation. So, okay. I want to cook fried chicken. I want mm -hmm. it to be nice at home. What do I do? Tell, tell how, Explain to me what I should be doing to make it great. To make it great? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be. I mean, we, we're not going to set out to make it good. <laughs> we're going to aim for great. I might land it good, but right. right? Well, so hopefully you have some directions you're following, right? And then so... 
if, for example, I actually made fried chicken at home like two two weeks ago. Okay. Because um, I made some at work for lunch and, you know, my fiance, you never make fried chicken for me at home. So I'm like, okay, I'll make fried chicken. Right. Say, say I'm marrying a black woman without saying I'm marrying a black woman. How come you never make fried chicken for me? Right. Like, so, all right. Cool. And, you know, so I like, I do like what I did growing up. I just do the chicken, season it. I do like a little egg wash and just like flour. Pretty simple. Okay. And then. In a paper bag? Uh, a plastic Ziploc bag. In a plastic Ziploc bag. Okay. You know? Why not the paper bag? I didn't have any paper bags. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought that was like an important part of it. There has to be a paper bag that you put nah, in. Whatever's going to like not get flour everywhere. Right. Okay. And then it was something that like, well, hopefully my mom doesn't hear this, but one thing my mom used to always do with the fried chicken, it was just like overload the pot. And then, so the chicken with is now like, pieces. yeah, it's like boiling in oil. And I'm like, it's cooking, I guess, but it's not really frying the way it should be. Right. So at home I'm sitting there and I'm like, listen, look, so I grab, I have a thermometer and we like temp the oil. We get it to like 375. We only drop in, you add a couple of pieces. Then you see what temperature oil is at now. Okay, now we're at 350. Cool. Now we let them fry. And we use a timer. Seven minutes. But we don't we want to flood the pan. Right? You're, 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 right. you're using a pan. Right. You don't want to flood the pan. Right. Because each piece has to have its own space right. and its relationship to the oil. Exactly. You don't want your oil temp to drop too low because at that point you're not frying anymore. Wait, wait, wait. If you put too many pieces in there, then the oil temperature will lower? Will drop. Exactly. See, you're a scientist also. <laughs> right? I never even realized that. So you got to be careful with the number of pieces you put in at a given time. Right. Because it'll drop your oil temp. So... You know, so I said at a home cook, like, are, does every home cook have a thermometer and things are that, things like that? Like, I mean, probably, th probably thermometers not. are cheap. I mean, you just gotta have yeah. enough. Pay attention. Yeah, and it's useful, you know. Or you gotta have a good eye for, like, okay, my oil is still. But high. that's that's a key. That's a key tip. Don't right. over flood the pan. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, let's say I'm gonna put three or four, right? Three or four pieces, right? Mm -hmm. So there's an even distribution of oil. Okay, so then what? So then what? We use a timer. Like, okay, so about, I know on average about seven minutes, it's gonna be good, right? And then another key component is that when you take it out, don't put it on like a piece of soggy paper towel because that's gonna like soak up all the oil. Don't put it on paper towel. I've been no. always putting it on paper towel. Why not? No, because you want the oil to drip off. You don't want it to be saturated in the oil. So you want to put it on something like a strainer or like a little rack or something so the oil like drips off. And, Why? It, and it'll all stay crispy because now it's not like sitting in oil. Because yeah. I would wipe it with the paper towel to get the oil off. We well, no. won't let the oil drop drip off naturally, you know? Okay. Yeah. So let the oil drip off naturally. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then from there, it should be nice and crispy and good. What seasonings did you recommend that we use not just salt and pepper it's got to be more than that <laughs> well you'd be surprised i actually like when i was younger i was that like i was like the seasoning cabinet like king that's all i taught myself i just put everything i could and then now actually i pull back a lot you know i, I use obviously salt and everything and then from there it just depends on what i what i want you know and sometimes i still get a little weird i think that chicken we did like uh uh like salt like some pepper sauce and I think I had like some chili powder or something in there. So we threw some stuff in there, but it's whatever you got. Salt What's, is most important though. What salt? Kosher salt. Kosher salt? Yeah, always. Why? I like the way I'm, I'm used to using it. So like I have a better feel for it. I find that when you, when I switch types of salt, you know, you use too much, you use too little. I feel like I bought kosher salt at Whole Foods once 
and it was, I feel like the taste was relatively to so a little aggressive. Aggressive. And right. so I was like, okay, maybe you didn't really want the kosher. <laughs> but you're like, no, 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 that's the one. And I think it's, you see, some people go sea salt, some people go kosher salt, yeah. but just stick with the same one because you'll get a feel for it. Sure. And now you're used to it. So just like, just don't switch it. You know, that's what I would say. You know, I grew up with a mom who was always like, don't use too much salt. You'll get diabetes. Exactly. And then, yeah. well, wait, but then I saw that, what was that Netflix joint? Was it salt, fat, acid, and you know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen it, no. Oh my God. This sister had, it was salt, fat, acid, and the audience probably just yelling it, but I can't hear. There's four, was four elements, mm -hmm. right? And she was like, pouring major professional shit, pouring tons of salt in there. I'm like, yeah. so much salt. She's like, it's fine. Yeah. Like, you're not going to get sick. Like, <laughs> And after that, I'm like salting it up. My mom comes over for Thanksgiving. Don't use too much salt. I'm like, no, you got to watch the documentary. Like, you're, <laughs> you, you are blanding my taste buds. It's right. fine to like. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, one, it's funny you said that because I forget, it was some years ago, but it was one of the first times my grandmother, I was in charge like the mashed potatoes for some, for some like get together, right? So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm making the mashed potatoes. Like pressure's on, right? I'm like, I'm about to like show them how to make some good mashed potatoes, right? And my uncle walks in. And I'm on the seat. He's like, oh, don't put no salt in it. Like, don't put no salt in it. Like, you know, like relax. And I was like, you're crazy. And I just started throwing in salt and, and butter and everything. And I was like, listen, if you don't want none, then don't eat any. But I'm not going to, I can't be like the cook in the family, one of the cooks in the family and like serve you no salted the mashed thing, potatoes. The thing that's killing me is you're, you're, I assume, I assume you're the only professional chef in the family. Right. And we're handing out the test and we say, okay, you do the math. I mean, mashed potatoes are very important. Right. <laughs> but I'm like, he's a professional chef. I'm giving him a higher job than the mashed potatoes. Oh no. She still does more cooking. My grandmother still does more cooking when I go home. She's still like, get out the way. <laughs> I love that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love that. Have you cooked for her? I've never cooked a full meal for her. Really? Ever. No, no, no. We'll, what, we, what we'll do now is like, I'll help her or like, you know, I'll cook these items and she'll still cook all these items. And, you know, she'll try the food and we, we talk about food and stuff, but I've never like cooked her an entire meal. You never had her come to Clover Hill and like, let me take care of you? No, not yet. No. Oh, you got to do that, right? I mean, like that would be like your journey as a chef come full circle. Like now I'm finally taking care of grandma. <laughs> right. Yeah, one day. That's crazy. I remember um, the, the one of the things that's really stuck with me out of Kitchen Confidential, the Anthony Bourdain, and he's like, we use way more butter than you imagine. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that you? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> way more butter than you can imagine. Yeah. Um, I'm even guilty of someone being like, oh, the chef, they want light butter. And I'm like, yeah, sure they do. Like they don't know. <laughs> they don't know what that means. They don't know what they want. They don't know what it, what it means. You know? But these are some of the ways that you make the restaurant experience more decadent, like yeah. more salt than you even know, more butter than you even know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think people don't realize that like a lot goes into food, especially when you talk about like, you know, French cooking, all this kind of stuff. It's like butter, salt, it's wine, it's vegetables, it's meat parts, and all these things go into these sauces sometimes. And sometimes people be like, oh, chef, can you do it? Like, you know, do it with no butter. And I'm like, I added butter. I started making this sauce at 11 this morning. 
if the butter's been in it since 1105, like I can't take it out now. Like we're committed, you know, and it kind of is what it is, but it's like those layers of flavors and ingredients and things together. And that's the difference in the food in the restaurant than what most people make at home. I'm going to sit down at 9 p.m. and you've been working on my meal since 10, 10, 11 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, what is your superpower that you do better than other people and other chefs that has, cause you're like elite 1% of chefs. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you do better than other chefs that has led to your success? Uh, I just think I never get distracted, you know, from like my, um, I never let anything get in the way between me and my food like ever. Like I've been committed to the idea of becoming a great chef and like nothing is going to stop that, you know, and not even, you know, even with the mission star and stuff and all the press and all the interviews, all the stuff that people want. A lot of things want you to come out the kitchen and, you know, be this like celebrity chef. And I'm just like, no, nah, I'm still trying to get better at cooking. And I think it's really just that simple. Like I'm always thinking about the food. I'm always thinking about food. I'm always thinking about working on food and ingredients and how to be a better cook. Dream about food? Uh, it's more like work dreams than like food. You know, it's like wake up like, oh, the fish didn't come in. And you wake up and you realize you're <laughs> still in bed, you know. <laughs> thank you so much. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. With everything with Clover Hill. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our engineer is Claire McHale. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. 